0: Welcome back to the Park Hills podcast. If you have more information that you want to know about Park Hills or the sermon series or the other podcasts that we're doing, we would love to have you check out parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app on any of the app stores. So, Alex, I'm going to ask the question, where's the beef? Uh, you know, <laughs> you had this statement in your sermon that jokingly I called th- me out. And then you just told everyone that I'm wrong, well, which I so appreciate. But I want to – let's talk about this a little bit.
1: I just wanted to see you squirm sitting in the front row. I was like, this is great. This yeah. Is great. It, I didn't really squirm.
0: Nor did I give you a talking to this week, no, just to be clear. No, no okay. talking
1: to. Um, yeah, but we're talking about the kenosis. Yeah. Or what uh what was Jesus how does how does Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time? How do we understand God coming to earth? Right. It I mean it's just like it's this huge, huge discussion right that uh I think we the pulls from lots of areas of scripture, but sure. specifically I was preaching Philippians chapter two yep. and seeing uh Jesus the, the verse there, Jesus emptied himself as uh, some translations give it. I, I know the um, the NIV uh, says, like, gave himself up. I'll look that up real quick. Yeah,
0: um, which all goes into the translation of a single word, which right. we'll talk about for a little bit here. So, yeah, so all that to say, there, there is a 2,000-year-long conversation that has kicked some people out of orthodoxy altogether. They've been re- rendered a heretic and removed from the church. Uh, there are so many different views of this And we're going to settle it right now on a podcast in like 20 minutes.
1: There's no way. With with like two dudes who like did some reading last night. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm a, I don't, okay. So just to be clear, yes, you know us as pastors at your church. We love you. We are so grateful that you call us leaders. We're both going to show you how complicated this concept is and also how ill-equipped we are to dance in the circles that some of you would like us to dance in at times. So I've had people pull me aside sometimes and be like, "You just need to like go on and debate Bill Nye on a TV show." I'm like, "That's the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like that's not what I'm, I'm called to do. I preach God's word. Sometimes well, other times I walk away going, I'm leaving so much on the table here. And so, yeah. so all that to say, we're gonna we're gonna just unpack this. But you need to know, a listener, we are just going to sort of survey the concept very quickly. We're going to kind of explain some of the discussions that are happening. We're going to also then hopefully give you some practical, just a few, reasons why this might matter in a day-to-day, you know, the functionality of this in our Christian walk. And also, I think we'll also be really real. It doesn't matter a ton unless you're way far afield and you're a heretic, then you should probably come back to the fold. But at the same time, it's just extra. This is all bonus stuff, and this is stuff we could never put in a sermon because you're going to notice really quickly. Everyone would fall asleep.
1: This is this is deep tracks right here. Yeah, this, this yeah. Is. This is notes,
0: <laughs> n- you know, notes from the cutting room
1: floor, the deep track stuff that nobody cares about. So, with um, that
0: said, what is the kenosis?
1: Yeah. Well, I think who cares? Yeah, I, and I think before we even really dig into that, there's a narrative here yeah. that I think if people understand would be helpful to put some context into this go for it um the in the the narrative of or is that uh christ or christ wow christopher which means little christ uh Christopher carrier uh, of christ yeah ju- just or yeah uh, carrier of christ um just finished his ordination council and is now ordinate, ordained ordained right. by the yep. efca and mm-hmm. so yay chris no one cares um, People care. We sure. care. We care about you. We love you. No, anyway, it. I appreciate that. Part of that process is a is an ordination council, which lasts hours. Like you don't plan anything else that day if you're a part of the council. Correct. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so I got to be a part of Chris's council, which which is just funny in itself because I have not gone through that process yet. So I get to go sit there and be a part of the people who say like, yeah, Chris Chris has good theology when I haven't gone through it. Anyway, <laughs> um. And so this topic comes up in the council, Mm -hmm. and uh, there it was. It was a very lively council. Now I don't want I don't want you listener to think that it was like tense or like people were like, "What is Chris talking about?" But it's just you get you get pretty deep into some deep track topics of theology.
0: And their goal is to try to trip you up to see if you're consistent with your theology, so that they can ferret out whether they really want to admit you into the club or not
1: well and whether you really know your stuff or exactly. you' just you're just inheriting exactly. something that you read can you put it all together when you're interacting with other things right. so so that uh, then that was just a couple of months ago um, The it started an inside joke amongst our sermon team about how Chris and I have slightly different very very slightly different views this is like looking at like dark green and forest green like what's the <laughs> difference uh, so I just teased Chris about having a wrong view of kenosis and that
0: and know. then he did so in a sermon. And so then I did so in the so sermon because he is
1: here. So, yeah, that's what brought us here is uh, I preach Philippians chapter 2, which is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's a great passage. And then I, I, I called Chris out jokingly and said, uh, Chris is wrong. We have different views. But I did say that you, your view is very, very well within orthodoxy. Like, it's not sure. like, oh, this is one of those, you know, views that we're we're talking to Chris about or he needs to fix. I said it's well within orthodoxy, but he's wrong, yeah. but we moved on' just because sure. it's been a running joke so sure. that then then we have a podcast about it, so
0: yeah, so we're gonna take a little time to show you you know how I'm wrong uh
1: and just discuss it a little bit, just so that yeah. you
0: are aware of these big, huge conversations that are happening that again, normal people just don't care about,
1: yeah, yeah, and That's okay, and so so where we're going to is um you know i I preach Philippians chapter two, uh I'm just gonna read a little bit in starting in verse 5 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross so so that word emptied there that's the where we get the the Greek word uh, kinao, kenosis is from that word, ESV, what I read there, translates it, he emptied himself. Um, The NIV translates it, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Let's jump over to the uh, NASB, uses the word emptied as well, he emptied himself. And so what's the, the theological question is, what did Jesus give up or what was emptied in his Nature or in his person and and those in his soul, like those terms are even there's just pages and pages of theology written on what is the definition of the nature of a person, of the soul of a person, of the will of a person? and so the the question is where where did we or what did what did Jesus empty himself of, which has spawned tons and tons of debate? What does it mean that Jesus gave up of himself? And what I think is interesting is, and if you heard my sermon, I think most of what we understand that the theology of kenosis actually doesn't come from this passage, because I don't think this passage is making a particular point about Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes. I think we can pull that from other places. Like, yes. You know, John 1, Jesus made his dwelling among us. Yes, What, what did Jesus do to make his dwelling among us? Uh, but, but the word is here in Philippians, so that's where we get the, right. the, the title of this debate.
0: And the Greek word "kanao" or in this case, you know, it, it comes in as ekinosin. The The whole idea that someone would build an entire theology on one verse and try to make this say what they wanted to say is, is problematic. So what we would call the kenoticists, right, or the kenoticists, those individuals have often gone so far afield out of this passage, they've made it say something that, that they're not supposed to be saying or, or doing. And and i don't hold to one of those views nor does anybody that i know because most of them have been branded heretics at this point because they've they've said Jesus actually emptied himself so the the even the word there emptied could be translated he gave up or he relinquished right he he surrendered something so so, so the big question and this is where it comes down to like what we're going to brand here on this podcast and you can find in a bunch of commentaries and stuff six different views of that word, what it means. The word kenosis typically has a negative connotation because often the people who have held to that, that he emptied deity of himself would be a bad brand of modalism or some other version of one of the bad heresies from the beginning of this thing, meaning Christ was fully human, but some of his divinity was left somewhere. And and we're not arguing that And I don't don't think a good evangelical would argue that in any way. Uh, And quite honestly, the history of Protestantism and a good chunk of even Catholicism would say that's not even close to what happened. So almost every theologian who's holding to Christ, they believe he is fully God and fully man every moment of every day. But the question then becomes, so then what did he give up or what did he empty or what did he relinquish? Was it actually anything or was it just a a view of, of
1: something? Right, because I think it would be easy to say, like, oh, well, nothing. Like, Jesus was fully God, fully man, and therefore nothing changed, nothing was different, uh, and Jesus went to sleep at night. Right. So was God sleeping? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, then, you know, oh, that's where you get into the debate of, well, there's two natures, and what is the definition of nature? And one nature was sleeping, but one nature wasn't. Was Jesus still holding and maintaining the universe? Like, all these questions start to bubble up when you just try to make it a little too simple.
0: Sure. And could he have slipped and fallen down, and if he scratched his knee, does that mean he's really God? Or, you know, just ridiculous questions that have been asked over time. Could he have sinned? What what would have happened if this would have gone on or this would have gone on? Does that mean he's not deity at this point? And even to the point where there's some that have argued he's a deity at certain points in the story and then he's not in others, and, it, you know, he prays for the, the multiplication of the bread at the feeding of the 5,000. So is he not capable of doing that on his own? So is he really, you know, God, or is he not... Uh, and you find all these ridiculous views out there, you know. So, so just to bring it, you know, really practical, like the Seventh Day Adventists, for example, believe he's divine, but he's not deity. He is a some divine creature of some sort, whether it's an angelic being or something high up, right? Jehovah's Witnesses, he's a prince. He's not even the king, so they would say he's not a part of the Trinity. He's not. He's not God. He is a special divine creature again, but he's not the one that we're looking for. He's not Yahweh.
1: Right. Like demigod type. Yes. Like, think all the way back Hercules. to. Hercules. Yeah. Mythology. Yep. Roman and Greek mythology. Like he has divine like qualities that uh, some other people have access, but nowhere near to the level that Jesus right. did, but not quite enough to say he's one with the father. Right.
0: And so we're not arguing that at all, but here's, so here's the basic, you know, I'm going to say six views of, of what Jesus might have emptied or relinquished. Uh, These six are, uh, you know, it's coming from the the Hawthorne commentary on Philippians. This was a very helpful thing when I was studying for my ordination council, knowing this question was going to come up because it always does. There's not an ordination council I've been to that doesn't push really hard on what do you think of Jesus in this regard, and we'll get into some of those nitty-gritty in a minute. But here's the six. What did he empty himself of? All right, the first possible view of this is one that most evangelicals that I know hold to, and that is that he just emptied himself of his glory. Plummer is kind of the biggest proponent of this. And like I said, so in Hawthorne's commentary, he, he points out Plummer holds that view. He, he emptied himself of his glory. The second possibility is he emptied himself of his independent exercise of authority, meaning he could have said he was God and he could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have recreated earth if he wanted to while he's walking on it. If he just says, this is, this is a trash bit, I'm done. He could have done all that, but but instead what he emptied himself of was independent exercise of authority. So he becomes subordinate in some way to the, to the father, which Hendrickson holds that view. Number three, of the prerogatives of deity, meaning he was in every way divine, but he doesn't, he empties himself of the prerogatives of being divine. So he doesn't necessarily act like a divine figure at all times in his life. And that's three. The four would be the the insignia of his majesty. Calvin holds that. Lightfoot holds that. Uh, the idea there is just the marking of him being uh, mag- majestic, right? So the, they would also connect this to the Isaiah 52, 53 idea, right? The the suffering servant who really uh, could have done anything but instead suffers on behalf of the people. There's no majesty about him that we should look upon him. You know, So they would link those two passages. Uh, number five, He relinquishes or or empties himself of the relative attributes of deity. That would be omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. And in this, some kineticists take this and they run really far afield and say, He doesn't even have access to them at all. There is no way He has access to them. And that's where we're saying that's dangerous. No one's going there. And that's a huge misuse of Philippians 2.7 if you're going to go there.
1: Right. And that also requires the splitting of attributes of God. Correct. Some are relative and what they call relative and some are moral, right? Like right. love and justice. Right. So certain, you have to put certain attributes into certain categories to hold that view.
0: And one of the dangers of this, and this is the reason why we would push back on the kineticists in general, is there are multiple passages of the immutability of God. God cannot not be God. So he can't just not have those attributes and still call himself God.
1: Right. right? And, and some of these, you can't give them up temporarily to get them back, which, which actually would drive some kineticists to say that Jesus never gave them back. There are some kineticists that sure. believe that Jesus gave up his omnipresence and is therefore no longer right. omnipresent. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, but right. it's not everywhere.
0: And they jump to Revelation there and point out that he still looks like a lamb who's been slain. He's only in one place at one time in, in the, the spots of those specific passages in Revelation, which, again, they're reading into passages things that don't necessarily need to be there, and they're trying to make it say something just to make their view work uh, to support something that just doesn't need to be.
1: Right, right. And, so, and some of them, like, all-powerful. How can you be all-powerful, then not all-powerful, then all-powerful? Again, because the idea of being all-powerful is you're capable of doing something. Right, It just, it kind of doesn't, doesn't quite make sense. Right.
0: And the sixth, and like I said, these are views of how to use this passage or utilize this passage or understand this passage. The sixth one would be of just being equal with God, which is probably closest to what the metaphorical meaning of Philippians 2 is in general. Right. And like you and I both think Philippians 2, 7 is not making a case to help us define what parts of divinity and what parts of humanity are working at any given point. This is a terrible passage to do this with. So I think if we're just talking about Philippians 2, 7, the metaphorical beauty of this poem is this is exactly what it's saying. Right. He he could have at any point said, no, I'm God, grabbed a hold of everything that he has for God, and just said, you know, I'm off the cross on my own power, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this on my own power. And he clearly doesn't do that. But that's a terrible argument to make about when, you know, what is what is the functionality of Jesus being fully God and fully man at the same time? hmm all right. So there's the six kind of views of how to use this passage, like I said, uh, or how people have, you know, read into this and tried to make it say what they wanted to say. So what was your hesitation at my counsel? And be honest, because yeah. this, this is probably helpful for people to hear, oh, this is what you guys think about at times or what you guys talk about. Because we have these conversations in my office or your office all the time where we come in and go, all right, I'm working through something. Let's talk this through. Here's what I'm reading. Let, let's think about it.
1: Right. So we're, we're sitting at uh, Chris's counsel and the way these councils are set up is you present your viewpoint on uh, a piece of our doctrinal statement. And then right. there's questions like open questions. Who wants to ask a question? And so the question started getting down the idea of what attributes of God were given up or not. And what I heard was the question of, can, was Jesus able to do miracles? Could Jesus have done miracles? And what I heard from your response was, no, like, sure. Jesus could not have done a miracle. He only did miracles through the Spirit, which like starts raising red flags in my head because you sure. know classic canonicists would use that as a step to say uh, Jesus can't exercise this divine power. If there's any divine power in Jesus, it's not done by him, but it's by the Father and the Spirit. Like That is a core tenet of Jesus not being fully divine. And so, you know, so I start thinking like, man, I need to hear more about this. At this point, I was not asking any questions. There were some other people in the room that are way smarter than me and maybe a little bit more picky than me <laughs> who's, who start just firing out questions. And, and I, think, I think a good discussion here, too, is it, I think it gets really tricky when we start asking could questions of Jesus because in some sense— there are, are rights and privileges and powers that God and Jesus have that they could do, that Jesus could have done things, but in doing them, he would no longer be obeying the Father, no longer be God, and therefore would not, would not be God himself. Totally. And so could he, well, I, I would say, like, maybe theoretically, and I even use this in my sermon a few times, like, theoretically, Jesus could have gotten off the cross. Like, sure. he had the power, he had the right, he had the authority, but in being God, he's not going to sin and disobey the Father. So could he have, well, technically, no, but theoretically, yes, and that's where we start getting into this this trickiness of, like, you know, could Jesus have decided to do this, or could Jesus have done that? Well, yeah, he could have, he had every right and authority and power to, but then could he have, that would be denying, you know, or disobeying the father. So, so you get into this tricky water. Sure. There. So I will admit that, but uh, Chris brought it. Or, so I, I hear that from Chris and I say, well, it, okay.
0: So before we get to where I brought it back to, cause let's, yeah. let's save that for just a second. So here's, here's where it actually went down. The question that was asked of me was how do you explain cloaking of his deity and humanity? Meaning, how can he be fully God and fully man at the same time? I answered, and if you, if, any, if you were to see my ordination paper, you'd get super bored. It's 45 pages. You'd start reading it, and you'd go, oh, my goodness, this is so boring. But I'm making a case throughout my whole ordination paper of a view of what God is trying to accomplish redemptively using humans, and he doesn't accomplish that fully until Christ in, in, in his glory So then what I I say in my answer to that question is there's a number of places where he is clearly not using the attributes of God to the extent that we would expect God to be, Mm -hmm. right? Jesus is in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion. That means at that moment, he doesn't appear to be omnipresent, right? right? Or he says things like, only the Father knows that. That suggests that he doesn't know something and if you're a God and you're omniscient, you should know everything. So then people have jumped to the conclusion then that Jesus isn't isn't God, right? Because they they would say, if God is really immutable, all of that plays in. So I started there. Then they said he was unable to do a miracle in human form. And they, and they said it in a question. There was no actual—if you read it, like, there's no actual question. But I'll put a question mark on it. So I'll, I'll read it the way they kind of said it. So he was unable to do a, a miracle in human form? It just kind of like that. <laughs> to which I said— Yes. Now, what I'm saying there, and in your and in an ordination council, you're trying to just keep things moving, but you're also trying to to state your case and keep it as short as possible.
1: Well, in and one thing if, is
0: if they had asked the question, could he have done a miracle in human form, my response would have been, sure. I believe that my understanding of the text is he's choosing not to do miracles of his own his own power and authority. And there's a number of reasons for that. It doesn't mean that he couldn't. He's more than capable. He is God. He's fully God and fully man. But I do believe that for whatever reason, he is not acting in all attributes of his godliness. It doesn't mean he doesn't have them. He, he could have done anything he wanted to do, but him surrendering himself to us, being a human, limits him in some way. He still has it, but he's, he's self-limiting, which is one of those views that we just read. And since he's limiting himself in some way, Therefore, in my opinion, and this and I'm not even totally sure about this, if, if a miracle happens in the New Testament, I think that the Father is giving the Son the authority to do something and the Son is giving it to the to the Spirit to accomplish whatever that is. That, that would probably be the easiest way to understand it. But at, at the same time, all of them are working in perfect unison and they can do whatever they want to do. If the son's walking around doing miracles, I have no problem with that. I'm
1: right. go for it. Right. And this is this is the the dark green versus forest green of of Chris and I, I think Jesus did exercise his divine authority on, on his own accord, never contradicting the Trinity. Sure. But I think Jesus's miracles were Jesus himself as that person of the Trinity doing it. Sure. But, but I, I hope you can hear and understand like these, these are, are so close that if you held them next to each other, you'd, you'd have to have the proper lighting to really see the difference between the two.
0: And I'm very open to that. Right. I think,
1: And and I'm open to your point of view. Part, the, I mean, part and, of the and problem is, is the like- text
0: supports a lot of possibilities here, but in an ordination council, they want you to define your specific view of something, and then they want to rip it apart. And you can't, you know, it just gets so down in the weeds for really no reason at all. When I would say, I, I totally believe that what Alex is saying is probably absolutely true. And I could even, you know, if, if, if one day Christ, when we, when we see him face to face and he goes, Chris, you were wrong. Alex was closer to what's right. I'd be like, not, not
1: right, but just closer.
0: I don't, well, <laughs> just, here's, because here's my view of most things theology. I think what God reveals to us in his word is the best we can comprehend. I, I think we are so finite and we are so broken by the, the marks of sin and everything else in our life. God has has mercifully given us his word, and we have access to him in a way that no other human in all of history has uh, besides what he's given us, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, he has given us this thing and said, I want you to spend time studying this word and getting to know it. The text provides us a lot of different possibilities. At the end of time, when we meet him face-to-face, every one of us is going to be like, man, I was really close about something or we're going to be like, well, that's not even close to what I thought was going to happen.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that has to do with like our finite abilities of comprehension. I think there are mysteries in Scripture, for example, the Trinity. Sure. Like, how exactly does this work? Or what we call the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. How exactly does this work? Well, we have a ton of philosophy on what it means to have to have a human nature. Or what is a nature? What is a will? What is a soul? How do all those right. mix? in and not, not going to the point of the accommodating view of Scripture, short of that, right. we our, our finite minds can't completely understand this, and I don't necessarily think we have to have like the perfect answer, this is all worked out, it's neat and tidy, for every single one of these minutiae. Agreed. I, I think there's actually a beauty in some of the ambiguity of some of the minutiae. Not to the point of if you've... Uh, you know, if you're aware of the accommodating view of Scripture, the idea that God knows that we can't understand it, so he just writes it in terms that we can understand. And that that viewpoint is used to explain why there are seeming contradictions in the Old Testament or why things right. don't quite make sense. you just like, oh, well, Jesus, or, I mean, God was just writing that. It wasn't really true. It was just all that they could handle at the time. But we know later that, that those things aren't true, and that that gets used, I think, overblown to like talk about science and And we and and we would both say that's not even
0: close to what we're right. We believe we, we both believe scripture is not only divinely inspired and, and, and partnering with human beings to create it, but at the same time, it, it fully does everything it needs to do.
1: And it's accurate.
0: It's, it's, and it's accurate and it's completely capable of helping us not only live our life, but understanding salvation and understanding God to the best that we can right here and now. You know, put it, to put it like in really simple terms, for me at least, and then you can rip this apart as much as you want, but <laughs> um, like computing, for example, up until recently, the only way that we can do computing is you have a yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. So zero or one, and, and computing computing up to now has been binary. So if you buy you know, a block of memory, it's got X amount of things, but it's always a multiple of two because it's a yes or a no. So everything that you see cr- created by a computer is a yes or a no. Well, recently they've been developing quantum computers. And the reason why that's so significant is they're able to utilize a particle in what we would call the quantum realm. And it's not like the movies make it. It's just a it's basically subatomic particles that are so small they're able. Ant Man. To- <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw a documentary yeah, about this. It's yeah, called Ant Man. Yeah, yeah, this is ridiculous. But because we're able to start putting information on quantum particles, it's an infinite amount of possibilities. And so you go from being binary to infinite, and you go like to be honest with you, I can't even fathom what that looks like or understands. And and that's just here on Earth stuff that God gave us access to. When we get to see him face to face, we're all gonna go. I thought I knew you, and I knew you as best I possibly could in my very finite ability as a human being. And and again, you know, moving from sin through redemption to eventually glorified. My state right now is I'm not able to comprehend how amazing you are. When we see him, we're gonna go, Whoa, even if we were right, we're gonna go, Well, you're way more amazing than I thought you were. That's how I'm trying to process it. And so with kenosis, or, and please understand, even using that term is kind of wrong because we're not holding to a view of kenosis here. We're talking about what does Jesus do? So when Jesus is walking around, is he fully omnipresent in that moment but just appearing to humans as a, as a human like that, that, that's in one space at one time? Because, right, that's what omnipresence is, is being in all places at all times. Well, then Jesus, how does that work? How can he be both omnipresent and physically present in one space or how does he not know something if he's omniscient? How does he not, and how is he not able to, you know, do this if he's not omnipotent? And there's a number of answers for that. One could be as he sacrifices himself and surrenders himself to the will of the father, the father has chosen to give him certain limitations that he's not able to to work out of. You know, uh, we were talking earlier, William Craig Lane says that the spirit maybe acts as sort of a firewall to stop the humanity of Jesus from, you know, bursting forth and becoming what he could. And at the same time, not doing his full deity thing. He's, he's limited in some way, but every one of us agrees. He clearly limited himself in some way. Right. He had to have to be fully human. Like there's no other way to
1: make it work. Right. And, and there's theological implications of Jesus has to be fully human and operate as human to be our example. Mm -hmm. Right. And to, to die on the cross. Right. You know, but.
0: And to be the sacrifice that the old Testament talks about. Right. Right? I mean if you're going to be the son of man, if you read Daniel 7 and 9 and you go, this character is amazing. Look at this individual. And then Jesus is proclaimed as the son of man. And then John uses this imagery again in Revelation to show us how he's going to return one day and as the king of over everything. You go, "Whoa. Well, he can't he couldn't have done that if he just stayed in his heavenly abode and never came to earth and tabernacled with us like John one tells us." Mm-hmm. So we've got to somehow work all of these passages together and try to figure out, okay, what does that mean? At the same time, we're asking a, a question that's kind of a fool's errand. Like, I have no idea fully how to comprehend it or do it, but I have to have an answer for an ordination council, which is ridiculous, <laughs> 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 to bring it all yeah. back, right? Yeah.
1: Well, and I appreciate that. Some some of the questions that they ask, they say, how sure are you? And they accept a non-100%, an- you know, like, I'm not 100% sure on this this view. Um, they don't. There's not a requirement that you say, this is my stance, and I'm 100% sure on it. Right. Right. I mean, some of the issues, yes, of course. Like Jesus know. is God, yeah. Jesus, Jesus is God, yes. Jesus died for our sins. You need to be a hundred percent on that, but yeah. uh, you know, your view of when the rapture hap- happens, you don't have to say it's mid trib, and I'm a hundred percent sure it's mid trib.
0: Right? I'm ten I'm percent sure of whatever view I'm holding. Yeah. At any given point. Yeah, <laughs> which
1: means you're ninety percent not sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just going on, you know, the the complexity of understanding God. It's so complex, and, and I, I like to think of it, and maybe this isn't the greatest illustration, but I, I think of, like, my seven-year-old right now is just super inquisitive, right? He's right. at that stage where everything he's asking, how does this work? How does that work? So when he's asking me how my car works, I don't quite explain, you know, a four-stroke internal combustion engine, right?
0: <laughs> and then the gas explodes in a tiny explosion with the piston, and blah, right. blah, blah, yeah.
1: Right, like, it's just, hey, I, you know, we put the gas in, the the engine... Burns the gas to create energy, and that energy is transferred into the wheels, which makes the cargo. Right. And as he gets a little bit older, I might explain, you know, like, okay, this is this all happens in in the four strokes. You know, what right. is it, a combustion or a compression, combustion, exhaust, whatever whatever right. the four are. Right. That, um, you're you're nailing it. Yep. Yeah, keep <laughs> uh, the, going. Then and then more and more complex. And as you know, I've I've fixed my car a few times. Like every time I work on it, I learn a little bit more about exactly how this thing. Um, I think in a similar but infinite way, God is explaining himself to us in, in terms that we can understand in, sure. in ways that our finite mind can understand. Um, but as we, as we grow into maturity, we understand a little bit more, but we never, we never on this earth will get to the point of complete understanding. Right. And maybe even in heaven, we never will fully, fully comprehend who God is because God is infinite. Sure. Um, But actually, Tim Mackey used a great illustration on this. Have you seen that? He talks about the difference between two dimensions and three dimensions. Mm -hmm. He says, "What is a what is a two dimensional object? What does a three dimensional object look like drawn in two dimensions?" He says, "That's kind of." He uses that to explain the Trinity. Like the Trinity, as a three dimensional object moves through a two dimensional plane, it'll look different, and sometimes it'll look like three, sometimes it'll look like one. Sure. If you're if you're at a computer or your phone, like just YouTube it. I'm sure you can find Tim Mackey. Dimensions, of the Trinity. Right. I think that's just such a great example of how complex God is and how our understanding, we don't necessarily have to land exactly on these because, because we're going to write pages and pages and not really come down to this is exactly it. And I'm 100% sure.
0: And I don't know that that's what the text is asking us to do. Right. So back to the ordination council problem, they're asking questions of things that you can never be fully sure of but you have to take a position on certain things. And so once you've taken a position, if you in the middle of your ordination council suddenly jumped out and said, Oh yeah, you made a really good point. Maybe I should totally change my view right here. Well then article two, five and eight are all broken in my argument and I, I can't hold that together, but I'm able to suggest to them, no, look at it from my perspective. At the end of the day, you can go, Oh, this is fully orthodox and I don't have to agree with it, but it, it makes sense. And he's making a good textual illustration as to how this works at the same time, if I'm wrong, I'm totally fine with that. Right. It, it, it's okay with me because I, the text supports both what you're saying and what I'm saying and any one of those other six views that we just talked about with the exception of the kenosis view, right. being right. that Jesus actually gave up divinity in some way. That doesn't work scripturally, theologically, even practically. Like If Jesus is not God in the flesh, the gospel doesn't work. So anyone who's holding to anything close to that, we go, yeah, no, we're good. There, there's a certain door that gets locked and we go, anybody outside at this point, they don't belong in the club. The rest of us in the club, you know, might say, well, all Jesus gave up is his glory. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> that that seems kind of a, a cheapskate answer to me, <laughs> but I get it and I can go, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. But I would argue that... There are a number of times where he is glorified in the New Testament because people realize that he is God, and he is the only one in the Bible, besides God, who doesn't say, "No, no, no, I'm not him." Stand, you know, stand up. You're, I'm, I'm, right. you know, like I think of all the angels that appear in the in the entire Bible, and they're always like, "Get up, don't fear me, fear him,"
1: right? right. Or, or Paul when they walk into, um, uh, was it Ephesus where they went yeah. in and they're oh, totally. And they thought he was Hermes, and, yeah. and uh, I can't remember. Don't the worry th- about the kind. other part. Yeah. But yeah, they,
0: they're like, he's got to be the messenger. He, this is him. And they start worshiping. He's like, no. It's yeah, not. He's
1: like, guys, get up. Like, I'm flesh and totally. blood like you. And, and uh,
0: everybody in scripture says that. Except Jesus. Well, yes. Or a king who thinks they are God. And then they're pretty much humbled. You know, Pharaoh. whether we're looking at Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> or Pharaoh, the <laughs> others, we go, oh, they're clearly not God. But when someone runs to Jesus' feet and bows down before him, he doesn't say, get up. Right. Because he is. Like he is who he is. And so he's receiving the glory. He is clearly glorified in some way. There's even moments like the transfiguration where he's clearly in a glorified state. So it's there. They might say, well, it's, it's concealed the rest of the time. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. I mean, but he's walking through walls after his crucifixion and resurrection. So clearly there's something about our glorified state that's going to be absolutely amazing and, and mind bending to us. At the same time, Jesus is walking on the earth before his crucifixion in a fully human state while also being fully divine. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that means. I don't fully make sense of it, but I know that it, in my limited understanding, what that means is that he is the one that was promised in Genesis. He is the son of man that we're talking about in, in Daniel 7 and 9. He is... Uh, from the line of Melchizedek, this king in, in Psalm two one ten and, and you know, so on and so forth. This this king that's gonna rise up and whip everybody into shape. What's amazing is he came lowly, he died a death of a of a of a of a beggar and a yeah, thief. Like a he does criminal, doesn't, yeah. He doesn't deserve what he gets. And then he rises from the grave showing that really wasn't entirely who I am. But if he doesn't die on the cross, there's a problem there. Theologically right. speaking. Right. And in, in,
1: in Philippians, where where we just got to this topic was he willingly did that as obedience to the Father. Yes. That that humility, that humbling himself to death on the cross. He did it with the attitude that my rights, my privileges as deity Absolutely. are not the most important thing. What's the most important thing is obey the Father. And so that that Jesus, he is fully God and fully man to us today teaches us that he truly is fully man and can obey. So we can obey too. Absolutely. You know, We have that, we have that ability and he is that example of attitude like Philippian, you know, the Philippian sermon was really all about having the attitude or mindset of Christ Jesus, which is verse, you know, five sure. and six. Um, we can do that because if, if he's not fully God and fully man, if he's not one, if he's not both of those, then, the, then this doesn't work out. Then sure. Philippians two doesn't work out. It falls apart.
0: Yeah. And, and back to our two differentiations, let me just, if, if he is relying on the Spirit to do the miracles on his behalf, like I think the text supports, that's really beautiful. At the same time, I don't believe that I can just be like Jesus and go out there and do a bunch of miracles because Jesus was fulfilling what the Father set for him to do in a way that I'm never going to be able to do. Yeah. That's beautiful. At the same time, if I'm wrong and you're right and Jesus is walking around and in his deity doesn't need the spirit to do some of these things, I have no problem with that either. Both of those things are very minute differences. And at the same time, they're both talking about him as fully divine, fully man, and every one of us would look at him and say, that's the guy we're following.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And we're trusting in his power to do whatever needs to get done.
1: Yes. yes. And, and those very... Very slight differences. I you know, I just gotta jump on that opportunity and make fun of Chris from the pulpit. That's pretty much where this all came up.
0: So we had enough <laughs> we had enough conversations with people afterward. Like either what's going on. Yeah, either what is Chris's view of, of Kenosis or what was Alex talking about that we said I, I don't know if this will be a fun podcast for people to listen to, but it at least will start to show them I, okay, my goal is not that people walk out here and go, those two are way too smart. I don't know what we're doing. My goal is just to show you there are way smarter people out there that know a whole lot more stuff than we do. We are forced to read them and think about these things. But then when we get up on a Sunday morning, we are informed, and we're ready to, to, to proclaim God's Word in a manner that is uh, justified according to the text and also in a manner that hopefully is helpful to you and to us as, as normal individuals. Like, we're not special. We're just normal individuals at the same time we are wrestling with topics that are way bigger than any of us can handle and and every theologian feels like I, I don't know what i'm doing here i'm just i have to make a decision so i'm trying to help this make sense and we we're running in those circles so you can approach us if we have if you have a question that you think i don't know if anyone's ever thought this there's a really good chance that we can go well i'll go read this or this or spend some time in this and that's what a pastor is supposed
1: to do. Right. Right. And, and for this too, you know, I'm pulling a learning moment out of this for myself as well. You know, Chris and I have a great relationship, all the staff here, we love each other. We love to poke on each other. Uh, I'm, I'm learning to that. Sometimes it's fun to poke on each other from the pulpit because it presents to the congregation that we do love each other. And sometimes to, to poke on each other over things, uh, plants, a, a seed of doubt in people's minds that, maybe that not maybe that is that shouldn't be there like people are like oh what's what's going on or i I really need to hear you and chris talk about this and i'm like i'm like oh man i I maybe over (laughs) overstated something here um but you know so so to get on the record and if you've made it this far in the podcast like good on you nice job uh you know i i it's so funny that i even get a vote but i voted positively on chris's ordination (laughs) like i didn't You know, they, at the end, they send Chris out of the room. Then everybody says, do you you guys have any um, questions or concerns? And there were, there were no concerns. Everyone was like, yeah, this, this looks great. Right. And, and then you, you do a voice vote. Everybody says, I like, sure. And, and trust me, this isn't like one of those, you have to say I type of things. Like there's the culture of this is totally open to discussion at this point. So it was very quick, brought Chris back in. We all clapped or something. I don't remember what happened. That's and, funny. And then, uh, so I just want to get on the record, like, total, totally approve of what Chris says. And at the and same
0: time, also what happened is someone said, I didn't know that this, there are this many views of, of how to understand this concept. And I'm like, yeah, I've studied this. Like, I, I, I'm not standing up here saying something that's just totally out there, but it's different than a number of the folks that were in the Ordination Council yeah. and different than you in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's still
1: and, fine. and and I mean, th- there's a lot of these all over the place, all over Scripture. We can go through all these different minutiae of, you know, how did this work or what does this happen? Because we we ask questions of Scripture, and that's good. I you know this yeah. this conversation is not a bad conversation. No. um, it, it's very good. But yeah, but we 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 love Chris despite <laughs> despite <laughs> what he thinks about this. Uh, no. um, that's funny. Yeah. So approved.
0: All right. Well, you heard it there, folks. Alex approves of me, so we uh, can. Uh,
1: That's all you were doing this for, right? That,
0: that really—that was really the whole reason. Uh, this entire podcast only existed so oh, I don't, don't get mean it just it.
1: this podcast. I mean on record.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need Alex's approval. That's one of my main goals in life. So, thanks for listening. Hopefully, uh, you got to this far. If not, you know, sorry. <laughs> Too late. Now.